Hey everybody, welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a really fun movie, Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise. I have a couple awesome guests with me today. I've got my buddy Duke and my buddy Anthem. How are you guys doing today? Doing, doing fantastic. Good, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. You yeah, I was do. waiting too. <laughs> <laughs> See, everybody's doing great. Uh, all right, so... Um, Let's just start, like, how did you find this movie? I know for me, I remember seeing the previews. I wasn't quite sure. Like, Tom Cruise is kind of hit or miss sometimes. And I don't know, something about it, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to be good. And I didn't see it until a buddy of mine, a host of the Six Button Samurai himself, uh, James, was the one that pointed me. He's like, you got to see this movie. So I picked it up on Blu-ray, and I finally watched it. And I was like, wow, this was really cool. Um, I know, I think Anthem, you had only, you literally just saw this recently, like in the past month or something. Well, right? no, I, I, I saw it, um, in the theater when it came out. Oh, I remember I, oh. I, went, I went with my dad. Uh, I had like, I think I had like just gotten off like a uh, summer, summer break, you know, for college. And, uh, and I went with, we just, he was like, you want to see this movie? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I've been seeing previews. It looks, looks cool. And, uh, and when I walked out, I was like, yeah, it was a great movie. That was a lot of fun. Um, but I didn't really like think a lot about it at the time. Um, and then I watched it again a couple years later, maybe like, um, 2017 or something. And I was like, wow, that was a good movie. <laughs> um, and then again, I watched it, you know, recently and I was like, uh, yeah, I, I always love watching this movie. So it's definitely became a classic uh, after the second viewing. I would say for me, it was, it was actually a lot like you hop. I watched the trailer and I thought it looked cool, but I had kind of grown skeptical of stories that used uh, time travel as sort of a main uh, plot point, so to speak, because a lot of times it seems like it was just connived. It didn't, they didn't really make it do anything special. Um, but I was intrigued. And so when it finally came out, uh, to be digitally rentable, that's what I picked it up, watched it. And, uh, I mean, I was just blown away. Uh, I had such low expectations that I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie. And of course I immediately bought it on digital. Um, and then later, uh, picked up the manga as well, because I was curious, uh, to see what some of the differences were, because I had gone on Reddit and read some people saying, oh, well, this is what happens in the manga. I was kind of like, huh, wonder where, where this inspiration came from. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, and again, we're talking about Edge of Tomorrow. Um, it's a 2014 science fiction film that stars Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, directed by Doug Lyman, I believe is how you pronounce his mm -hmm. name. Uh, yes, the guy that directed Swingers. Um, based on the <laughs> screenplay adapted from the 2004 Japanese light novel, All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. And that was later adapted into a manga. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, film takes place in a future where most of Europe is invaded by an alien race. Uh, the people, the public calls them mimics and major William Cage, who's played by Tom Cruise is a public relations officer with no combat experience. He's forced by his superiors to join in a landing operation against the aliens only to find himself experiencing a time loop as he tries to wait to defeat the invaders. 
yeah that movie the movie starts out i i really love that the film doesn't go into a lot of like unnecessary exposition yeah yeah they did a great a great job with the editing um and i don't um i don't know what you would call it but like the the flow of the movie i guess the pacing, yes. pacing. yeah Agreed. pacing is very very good um, it's pretty and- solid they do a great job with that pacing too and also giving us an idea of who the characters are without providing a huge amount of backstory right to them. which is like a fault of a lot of a lot yes. of uh, more modern or amateur i don't know what you'd even say but there's some films where I'm like why did we just spend 45 minutes of nonsense on I this i think it's it comes in movies it comes from like these projects are so huge and they have so many people working on them and there's like a couple people who are like, no, people aren't going to understand. Like, I've only seen like, you know, a quarter of this movie and I don't understand what's like what this person's backstory is. And they don't they don't see the whole finished product and they can't tell what it's going to be. So they like these executives demand more backstory be put in it just ruins the, the final product. I think that comes from that. Yeah, it's probably right. Some kind of. uh board of of uh producers or something gets involved and mucks it up but yeah you're, <laughs> it we literally get jumped in and it's like live newscasts and uh they very cleverly segue into um and you see cage on these newscasts you know talking to the public and talking about um the new jacket suits which are basically like power powered armor uh freaking awesome use to yeah. fight the aliens yeah um what did you think of the design of of the suits you gonna go ahead duke <laughs> sorry because uh, i know what i want to say I, I i know what i want to say but i i i feel like yeah very well yeah. very practical um and uh honestly it takes a lot of inspiration from what i had seen um uh from actual private companies today and the military too i think darpa had a project for mechanized suits and something similar had been designed there um i know there is something or a couple projects over in japan for medical and construction purposes so it's obviously near future and it's it's not jumping too far ahead um like you might suspect with with other um powered armor suits in science fiction Mm. yeah yeah that's a really good point i i uh i liked that they um there there seemed to be a little bit of almost identity with a couple like different suits um some of the suits uh were designed differently around different people and it kind of gave you the sense that maybe these soldiers were were modifying their own suits a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah a little bit more realistic and i I thought that was a, a really cool touch by them and that's pretty typical of uh, military operations, right. and then military operations. I mean, I would assume put into science fiction. Aliens, the the soldiers and aliens all had a little bit different armor, and they had little trademark slogans on their guns and their gear. <laughs> that's just a very common uh, military thing. Going back to the story, so these aliens that we call mimics. Um, arrive and crash into earth on a on an asteroid in 2015 and by 2020 the 
UDF, or now United Defense Force, have uh, established an alliance to combat the alien threat. Um, they won a battle at Verdun uh, using these newly developed mech suits. Um, at this point, that's where we catch up where Cage is brought in. And uh, he's a PR guy. He He's brought into a meeting with this general. He's a PR guy. And he's like, yeah, um, you know, and the general's like, well, I want you there on the front line. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't even stand a paper cut. I'll pass out. And Tom Cruise is so good at being that guy. Like, he was <laughs> perfect. I can't really picture anybody else playing that type of character where he obviously, that's like, you can trash on him for his personal life all you want but the guy can act he goes from yeah. being this um you know slime ball salesman general and his character changes throughout the movie which is a really important thing in movies in general uh we'll mm -hmm. get to that in a minute but um you know he the general gives him the order he's like well i don't want to go he's like you know it'd be a shame if i had to write a pr story about you so then the general has him court basically <laughs> Uh, stripped of his rank, turned into a private, and then dumped into a boot camp with Master Sergeant Farrell, who's played by Bill Paxton, to, like, I don't know if that's his last movie role before he passed away, but it's probably his last great movie role before he passed away, because he's great. He's yeah. really good. Yeah. He's hilarious. Uh, we'll get to some quips that I, I was cracking up. I, I've watched the movie three times in the past two weeks. Um, I wasn't trying to go through a time loop, but I wanted to make sure I caught <laughs> as many funny things or as many like little things. And I just find I found myself enjoying the film almost like you said, Anthem. It gets a little bit better almost every time you watch it. You catch. I caught something else this third viewing in the past two weeks that I didn't catch the first like two or three viewings. So um, it's neat when a film is that rich that can do that. Uh, um, so they land in, you know, Cage is, is dumped in the squad. Um, there's a great line when he meets J squad, they're a bunch of misfits and they're getting in the mech suits and the guy's helping him out. He's like, wait, I don't even want to use this thing. And then like <laughs> the guy has a line. He's like, look, I've never been with two girls either, but, but you bet when the time comes, I'm going to figure <laughs> it out. Like, I, was yeah. crying. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> super helpful super <laughs> helpful <laughs> so they uh, land on the beach in Normandy and there's a lot of uh, I'm sure Duke and I will, all three of us will get into this but there's a lot of parallels to World mm. War One and World War Two with these kind of settings so you have the reference to Verdun and then this is like D-Day Normandy with France and they go and they land except that uh, really it's the aliens that win so we land in France uh, we get decimated cage uses a claymore to kill a large blue mimic so there's two kinds of mimics we see on the battlefield in the beginning there's these orange ones and they kind of look like if an octopus was made out of quartz and could move really fast and kill you on land that's how i would <laughs> describe them to people that don't know kind of haven't seen the film if you haven't seen the film stop listening right now go watch it it's really fun and we're gonna yeah. spoil the shit out of it so you might as well go right now um he kills a blue one that's much larger um, it looks more intelligent. The orange ones just seem kind of like insects, like just like rabid. They just run over and kill everything. The blue one looks like it's controlling everything. And he kills the blue one and it's blood lands all over him. You see his eyes kind of change. Then boom, he wakes up again at boot camp. And, and this becomes a funny thing. It's like ground. It's, th at this point, the movie becomes uh, how I was sold the movie by james from ruminations of a six button samurai was he said it's groundhog day meets aliens and that's exactly what starts to happen here yeah 
because he keeps dying in this one battle and much like groundhog day with with bill murray he's keep he keeps trying to figure out this day and uh the change happens after a few deaths here who knows maybe one to ten times he's died he runs into um like the hero verdun herself sergeant rita Bertaski, played by emily blunt and she's amazing in this movie she's really good she's a badass but she's also just charismatic and like you almost fall in love with her the way he does in the movie at least i do i don't know about you guys <laughs> oh, for sure yeah 100 so he sees her and he says something to her and she says when you wake up come find me and he's like what boom and he dies um so he figures out a way to sneak and find her and uh this leads to some more funny antics uh he starts speeding up the process because he keeps waking up and it's back at boot camp and the guy says get up maggot and he speeds up that whole thing and he's like what is it now guys pt and this is another part where i was like crying i was laughing so hard when they're doing pt and he's got to do push-ups and then he tries to <laughs> roll away to sneak <laughs> under the truck and he rolls too far and he gets ran over by the truck instead and his scream is so funny he's yeah, like, yeah, this- it's, it's a, almost a pathetic scream honestly yeah <laughs> sergeant farrell's like what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, we see his face looking down. Like we, apparently, there was a little bit of a moment where uh, he uh, he was still alive, and he could see the sergeant, and then back back again. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> so we get stuck in this time loop where he um, he's meeting with with uh Ritaski to train and she's training him she's got this like awesome training arena where they're training in the power suits and you know she explains to him that she had what he has and she takes him to meet um that doctor what's his name dr carter, carter? yeah carter and carter explains that these mimics are a super organism it's like one living organism where an omega controls and the alphas are like little sergeants um and the omega can reset the day if an alpha is terminator and adjust the tactics that's how that's how these things keep winning and now cage has hijacked their ability um that verdansky had but what happened to verdansky is she got wounded and it wasn't enough to kill her and she had a blood transfusion and she lost that ability so they want to try and track down the omega uh and obviously this takes i i what would you guys estimate how long he was stuck in this time loop because we see oh, a, a, a long time i would say yeah definitely a long time particularly because you can notice subtle but dramatic changes in the way he responds to other people he start he sort of starts taking on a very wearied look um and approach right. to people like There's he's tired of right there's one at one and at one point and this is this also reminds me of groundhog day i you know i'm sure they studied that movie when they made this but at one point he goes and he's like drunk and he's in the suit and this is a flashback to the very first scene where the guy was getting him ready for the suit and says well if i you know if i was with two girls i'd figure it out but you know he's in the suit and the guy's like have you been drinking but he's like yeah i need more five five six ammo and uh, eight grenades go get it and the guy just looks at him like oh, okay because i think he's gotten to the point where he's died 
probably I'm gonna guess somewhere between one and three years. Yeah, he was stuck in this time loop. That's what I was gonna um, say. Yeah, it's at least a year because you see him die a lot. <laughs> Some of them are funny, uh, like when he's training with Ritaski and he like falls down. And she's like, "Are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine." I think I, I think I, uh, she's like, "You broke your leg." He's like, "No, no, 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 I'm fine." And, and she shoots him because she knows he has to die to reset the time loop. Or when he falls and he's he's like, I can't feel anything but my lips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Um, so finally they, you know, they figure out enough stuff and he starts having a vision of where the Omega is and they figure out how to get to the battlefield and they get there and it turns out that's a trap. And that's when Carter said, well, I had this this device that we if we were able to capture an alpha we, it would have led us to where the omega was but the general took it and so they get they spend a number of deaths figuring this and this is where i caught something i didn't catch one of the other times i did not catch the part where the first time they go and get the device from the general that they messed up and she shoot she shoots him i didn't even <laughs> notice that i don't know how oh <laughs> <laughs> for for some reason i did i was like oh shit she shoots him this, so this is another day when they're actually in the car getting away like for some yeah. reason that transition that never clicked for me it was smooth yeah 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 it, i think that's the thing you see her shoot him so many times that it became right. almost desensitizing um and it's it's so smart that they like they do it so smoothly like that because of yeah if it wasn't like as you said it becomes desensitizing so if they made it a jarring change it would make the movie feel repetitive but it's yeah just, like when when he's training with her and he, when he's training with her and he keeps messing up she's like again again <laughs> again you hear her say that probably 10 times at least um so then with this device he figures out uh where the omega is but in the car chase getting away they both get uh, their car gets damaged. He gets shot in the leg. He wakes up in a field hospital and he's lost the ability. So now they're on. This is it. They've got no more resets. This is the last chance. He convinces J Squad to help because he knows everything about them because he spent, like we said, somewhere between one and three years with them. That they are utterly convinced he's telling the truth because at this point he knows everything about their whole families and everything. So they agree to help him. Uh, so they form a tight knit little group. And of course it doesn't go the way, you know, they, they initially plan, but they do make it to where the Omega is, who's hiding under the Louvre in France. And uh, finally, you know, um, Ritaski tells them, neither of us are going to make it out of here. Let's just do this. And she distracts an alpha so that he can run and kill the Omega. And there's a, a great scene here where, the Omega's like underwater and he crossed that thing and he's got the grenades and he keeps diving down and the alpha kills him. And then when he rolls over underwater floating, you see the grenade belt drop to the Omega and you see him open his hand and all like six grenade pins float out. And it's almost like, ha ha motherfuckers. I got you. <laughs> like moment. And when it blows up the Omega, Again, he gets covered in, in goo, and it, we reset, but we reset to the day before. And I think it was earlier the, in the morning on the same day. Right. Okay, yeah. Early in the morning on the same day. And the um, the mimics are, are on the run or dead or, you know, it's basically like 
you know, they explained there was a large energy surge and so the forces are moving in and, um, it's a great little, uh, fun ending where he goes to see Ritaski and, uh, she treats him as coldly as she always did. And he just laughs because he knows her so well at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the short version of the story. Was there anything, um, what moments stood out to you guys about this film other than we already talked about it? Or if you want to extrapolate on any of these moments, what, what were the things that really, really like blew you away and, or maybe you didn't like, let's go either way. Uh, let's start with Anthem. Okay. Um, one thing that I was, I still am not sure that I love about the movie. Um, but I have kind of come to a better, uh, understanding with after watching some videos about uh, uh what really happened but i am not really sure that i love the happy ending um <laughs> i kind of wish that he would have died uh at the end if it would have just went to black right there yeah i maybe like maybe show, show that show the the mimics dying or whatever but then... right and, and humanity you know surviving and stuff but mm. by actually having him die because it you know it was like this long process of him living and dying and repeating and and sacrificing his i don't know almost like sanity to get to this right. point and then and then he loses the power and he the only thing left to give is is his life and he gives that in order to succeed um and it, it kind of felt like it it slightly took away from that sacrifice a little bit um but i did um because i didn't really understand like like why is he resetting uh you know but uh but i watched some videos about it and some guys uh explained like well, you know, the, the Omega, is the, from their perspective, uh, this is not confirmed by anybody, but they said that in their opinion, the Omega doesn't reset intentionally. The Omega resets when an Alpha dies um, because they failed. And, um, and so it's like, it's like a fail safe. And so when, when the Omega died and, and the, the blood got into him, he, he once again hijacked the power. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and reset to the to the omega's reset point not to not to right. reset point right. so that 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 kind of helped me come to terms with it but i still uh like the idea of the hero uh giving everything and dying at the end uh, yeah but you, I, you cannot do that in a hollywood movie also <laughs> no and and to to defend the happy ending i think that it's almost like redemption of his character for him like having a full character arc from going and being kind of a cowardly mm-hmm. salesman what? slime ball yeah. and understanding what it really is like to be involved in this like to get involved in this conflict he is in the conflict at this point and it becomes higher stakes than anybody's ever faced and and his character has to have redemption at that point you know yeah um that's how yeah. I took it. And I, 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 it's funny that you said that whole thing. I didn't see that on the video, but watching it this last time, I was like, oh, I was like, he's the, he got the power from the Omega. So we're resetting to where the Omega had last reset, not where the alphas were reset or not mm-hmm. where, not where he was stuck. Yeah. So I saw that too. Duke, uh, let's switch over to you. What do you got? So uh, I think um, with the whole happy ending thing, this, makes the whole movie in a sense sort of a simile 
for Groundhog Day, because in Groundhog Day, you, you, you kind of have the same sort of character development arc. You have a character who not really the best of humanity um, and then, of course, falls in love with someone. The first bit of time, though, when he's dying, it's not exactly to get with the girl. Um, or to improve himself. He's just trying to figure out how to get out of it and, you know, what the heck's going on. And that's sort of the same thing with the beginning with uh, Cage's, uh, with Cage. He's not really sure what the heck's going on. We get a bunch of uh, comedic deaths and stuff. And then he meets Rita and it suddenly becomes serious. Now, I'm not saying that he falls in love with her right then, um, but then it switches gears and he starts becoming concerned for her. Um, you see a, a p long period of time where he's just trying to instruct her how she can survive in the battlefield mm -hmm. um, and they can progress forward. And it finally gets to a point where he's not willing to tell her, you know, how many times they've died, how many times she has died, whether or not they can even get beyond the point with her still alive. Um, right. And that's like that part when they they figure out how to get through the battle and then they're stuck kind of like at the farmhouse with the helicopter yeah. yeah she's wounded he sews her up and you can tell he's done this a lot and uh like he knows how to make her coffee and he asks her for sugar and she's like wait how many times have we been here and he you know that's when she <laughs> that's when she figures it out and i think an audience yeah and the audience and she's very guarded there's the discussion earlier where she was in love with another guy she had to watch die 300 times so she was stuck in a time loop same thing for over a year it sounds like you know she had the same thing going on so yeah yeah exactly she he yeah his character that's what i mean by his his character has a full arc in this movie even though his character lives the same day for the whole movie it's a pretty neat um thing to have and the only other movie I, I know of that has that motif is groundhog day yeah yeah and they for sure and and duke reminded me uh too that uh another thing that they i love about this movie that you know maybe not not necessarily uh similar to groundhog day in this way but the the uh the relationship between rita and um and cage cage i, I just want to call him tom but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh cage is like they don't make it rom like it is slightly romantic at the end but they really do not do not force any like romantic no uh, signals during the movie and and you can tell that like there's the possibility for that but it but it's not like what they're focused on right now and it it's just so well done and I just I I truly appreciate that they don't like shove a romantic relationship down. Their <laughs> they didn't place. right. They didn't try. They didn't use butter and a shoehorn and try and, and make it fit into the movie. They didn't pause time itself so that you could have, have beautiful been love about speeches. That lately. But this one came out in 2014 when I felt like they were doing it all the time, and they didn't do that. And I, it, it it's just like fresh air. Let's uh, take a quick station identification break to check on everything else going on with the Ruminations Radio Network. Hey kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile History Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. You've been enjoying this show. Come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on the Cinephile History Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. 
Hey guys, welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. I'm sitting down talking about Edge of Tomorrow with Duke and Anthem. We're getting back to the story and our critique of the film and what we really love about this film. All right, Mr. Duke, we left you off hanging. <laughs> uh, we were talking about the the romance in the movie, uh, which is very, as Anthem put, it's 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 subtle and it it works in a way that if they had gone overboard, it probably wouldn't have worked. And you were going to make another point here. Oh yeah. Well, uh, so um, Anthem mentioned earlier that uh, he thought it would be more impactful if the hero dies. And that is kind of how the manga goes. Uh, All right. Let's get right into that. I was about to say, I was like, let's, yeah, if you weren't going to bring I, that up, I was about to say, let's transition yeah. into the, uh, the source material between, like to, between the manga and the original uh, novel. The manga is like 99% accurate to the, to the novel anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you take the reins on this Duke since you, I haven't read the manga. I read like a summary of it. So I'm going to let you jump. You're going to be a <laughs> captain of this. Well, so the the manga I would say is a lot more fatalistic than the than the movie. Um, there really isn't a, a comedic point in the novel or or the manga, and in fact, um, it starts off different from the movie, uh, very different, really. In the movie, you know, we get Cage, we, so we know who he is, and we see the point where he first resets. In the manga, you have it beginning with Rita standing over, so he's cagey, but he's still cage, um, standing over cage as he's dying, asking him a strange question about uh, green tea. And he wakes up back in uh, barracks thinking he just had a dream. And so here in the manga, it's more a slower transition towards realization it doesn't seem like he has full memory of everything at the beginning, whereas uh, it's pretty clear that Cage in the movie is fully retaining his memories after mm -hmm. each, each reset. Um, it's a different character, too. He's obviously a soldier um, who's there to fight the battle. There's nothing implied that, you know, he was uh, any anything else other than that. Um, he has a good relationship with his squad, too. Uh, but two of the biggest things uh, from the movie and the manga that, that changes the tone of things is the way they explain the mimic system works in the manga novel, um, as well as how that problem is resolved. And so in the manga, mimics, the, what are the equivalent to the alphas, are basically antennas. They're like um, wireless repeaters even and so it gets to a point where while all of them are wiped out there's still two antennas left to reset the day and that's cage and rita rita realizes this but cage doesn't at this point cage is definitely in love with rita and so rita has to provoke him into a battle for his own life and so they fight each other he's trying to not kill her but protect his life but it gets to a point where he has to kill her one of them needed to die to to end the network otherwise they would be still stuck in that battle so there is sort of the tragic ending and rita dies cage moves on it's a reset but it's not the end of the battle the mimics are still there 
So he's now the new savior. He's the only one that had a strong relationship with Rita, but no one else recognizes it because he's reset to the very beginning. Um, but he still has some things. Like he knows where Rita's special stuff is. So he gets access to her apartment and stuff. And it sort of just lives on there. And it's it's a bittersweet ending because he talks about how his only motivation for fighting became Rita. And now Rita's gone. So he decides to remember her by painting his um, mech suit blue. Hers was painted red to attract attention to herself, by the way. And that probably is why they did in the movie, too. Uh, she had the right. red yeah. suit. There some nods to that. Yeah, so her favorite color, she told him, in the manga is sky blue. So his is sky blue, and that's the end. So, bittersweet. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. she also tell him, and they, they do the scene in the movie, um, you know, in the movie where she tells him her middle name. Doesn't she mm -hmm. tell him her middle name in the manga when she dies of that scene? I think they, they transpose that, like, almost word for word. Yeah, and then they also do go into her background where in, in the movie they sort of hint at it. And it's a, I mean, it's a very different background. Um, she's been doing this since she was a child, basically. Right. Yeah, the war has been going on a lot longer. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did like the nod. I mean, um, probably most people wouldn't know. I mean, if you pay attention to the credits, you might know it's based on a Japanese novel and then translated to manga. But the, um, the influences are quite a few influences from the novel into the film. She's got that giant oversized sword that's made out of a helicopter blade, um, you know, that she uses to take out the mimics because she was tired of running out of ammo. The <laughs> yeah. power suits, the power suits themselves, very, that's very much like um, a trope of Japanese sci-fi and manga, right? You don't, there's not many Western stories that have that outside of maybe Starship Troopers, right? <laughs> like, right yeah, that right, are right, truly yeah. original Western stories. Um, and then uh, even the uh, mecha suits themselves have multiple languages. Like when it says, uh, when he's out of ammo, it says reload. And then in Japanese, it's all reload, reload. <laughs> like it's, you know, reloado, reloado. I was cracking up. And you see the, if you know Japanese, it, says, it has the katakana on there written mm -hmm. out for reload uh, i caught a bunch of things there was another japanese reference on the there, on the uh heads up displays that i saw but i i think there was a reference i wanted to ask you guys because I, I i think it was a reference but i don't know what it was to in the very beginning when uh not i guess not when rita's introduced but when we first see her character she's like working out and some guy named takashi comes up and is like are you ready and um I have no idea who that is. Do, I, like, do you know Talk who that is, Duke? Well, I he mean, never shows up again in the movie. Uh, I'm making certain about this. So, Takashi Obada is the name of the author who wrote the manga adaptation. That's, yeah. Okay. He's, so it's got to be that. Yeah. That's yeah. Probably just yeah. a reference to him. Right. And I only caught that because I watched the movie with my wife and she is not a native English speaker. So we usually watch with subtitles turned on um, for like some of these movies where there's loud noises and you can't, you know, listen to them talk the whole time in perfectly clear uh, environments. So subtitles and it says Takashi colon 
are you ready or something like that I'm like, who the hell is takashi like i don't remember this guy is he gonna show up later in the movie he never did <laughs> but uh yeah wanted to was curious about that um but i i do want to get back into talking more about the uh the differences between the manga and the uh, uh, the light novel and the the movie because i felt like they made all the right decisions um it sounds like the 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 japanese version is a lot darker yes and um i don't think you can do that in a two-hour uh period you can like go so dark and then come back up um at least not as easily and not not to a as big an audience as i'm sure they were trying to hit so i thought um changing the tone in that way was a really smart move i agree it's it, it certainly is a lot darker and you're right in that sort of a time span you can't bring people down to those dark depths and hope to have a semi-okay resolution <laughs> it's still everybody's going to still be remembering like the 85 90 percent of it that was dark right mm-hmm. i i i really enjoyed the the tone of the film i mean it's it's serious but not without its light-hearted moments it it pokes fun at itself and its characters at moments that that make it enjoyable because the movie is, is you know it's it's a bit absurd when you think about it <laughs> although as duke pointed out it the the irony right now is we just lived through the year 2020 where we had a horrific worldwide like virus almost you know take out humanity you know uh, <laughs> It's kind of interesting that this movie is seven years old and and uh, they saw uh, it coming. They saw it coming <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, and then if you want to, you want to draw more sort of absurd, coincidental uh, tie-ins. Like you have the general who I I don't know if he's really so concerned about saving humanity as he is about saving his own face. Um, and the brink of that, and then, of course, you know, in 2020 with the virus, we had a lot of people who were more concerned with their, like, saving their own that, face. I than... think that's, like, really typical of people that are in power positions like that. I, I really see that. It seems to be a common thing. Yeah. Like they don't They don't even want to entertain the notion that they maybe failed and or weren't doing the thing that would have benefited more. Like one of the things I I like, like I said, that as far as the themes of the movie, it, it's almost like uh, a little bit Buddhist. Um, it was like redemption of his character because every time he died, he came back a little bit wiser, mm-hmm. uh, learning more about himself and about the world around him, and and being able to relive that same day probably taught him more in that time that he was stuck in that day than he probably learned up till the day that that happened um you know yeah well i think that's absolutely true um there is a a popular uh statement now um that i'm actually forgetting it actually came from a tv show but it was actually also in reference to philosophy which is you know time is a flat circle I actually had separately, unrelated to this, been looking up that phrase because I was like, is there any physics basics to this? Like, where did it came from? Um, and so it came from a like a, a detective TV show. I don't remember the name, but it's actually <laughs> referencing um, 
Nietzsche's concept of the eternal return. And so Nietzsche posits that a human really doesn't become fully human until they're presented with this choice that they can relive that when they die, they don't really die. They relive the exact same day or not the exact same day, their exact life with all of the failures, all of the successes, all of the pain, all of the suffering over and over and over. And when they reach that point where they can say yes to that, that's when they've actually truly accepted life. That's when they've come into the fullness of themselves. And so while Cage's character could make changes here and there, I still think that there's a little bit of it of that in there where he has to accept. I mean, because it's 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 scary to, you know, constantly be killed and, and relive that. But he he ends up accepting that, almost embracing yeah, you, it. Right. You see the first like three quarters of the film when he dies, he's like, Oh, he keeps waking up like kind of like in <laughs> shock. After a while, you just see his eyes pop up when he's like, All right, let's do this again. I got another idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I really like that's awesome, dude. That was some that, some knowledge bombs dropped right there. <laughs> I know that that there were talks of a sequel, but it's kind of in limbo. I don't know if I'll ever get one. I would I would entertain a sequel, but only if only if it could be this good. I don't want a sequel if they can't make yeah. it as, as fun as this one. I really feel like this is one of those things they might want to just leave it alone. It sounded <laughs> like they wanted to make it a a prequel about Rita, which sounds cool too. That could work. I don't know yeah, if they could do could it work. as good as this, but um, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I just don't like a sequel that comes afterwards. I have no idea like what they can do. It would be hard because the mechanic, that mechanic is so unique that anything else, even if it's in the same universe, is going to feel to me is going to feel not as special if it doesn't like without that mechanic, without that time loop mechanic. Could it be a good movie? Probably. But would it be as memorable as this one? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it will. I don't think it would, because if you remove that, then you basically just have a war against aliens, which we've all seen. Not we've that there's... It's been done before. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Like I said, that it, there may be more, but the only other movie I can remember recently that's this fun with this time loop mechanic is Groundhog Day, you know, and that, that was a comedy. Not that this wasn't... Not that this didn't have its lighthearted moments, but... uh you know, this was more of a science fiction action movie. Um, and that's why the beginning of this movie works so well, because we've all seen, like, aliens attacking Earth, like, battle for, for humanity. We've all seen that before. So they were able to just, like, jump into it in, like, two minutes and get, like, the whole backstory Get out to of the way. story. so right. smart. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's that's another one of those things where a lot of modern movies, they spend too much time setting up this exposition, almost like almost like we've never read a story before, watched right. a movie before. It's like, really? Like, who? Like, I'm pretty sure people can figure this out. Yeah. Um, You're following you, the same pattern that everybody else does. <laughs> right. But yeah, that I love that. Like, five minutes into the movie, you've got all the information you need through the credits. And that's how a lot of older films are. They set up the exposition in the opening credits and then get rolling, right? 
There's never like, you don't ever see a Western from the fifties or sixties where they spend 45 <laughs> minutes setting up the backstory of the gunslinger. Why? No, he's yeah. already the gunslinger when the movie starts. Yeah. This is Bob. He was raised on a ranch. This was his right. life on the ranch. And then he went over to this city here. This is how he learned his gunslinging skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, what, uh, Anthem, you got anything else to add about Edge of Tomorrow or anything, uh, anything about the movie, the characters, the stars? Um, I, the, I had a couple, uh, th- things that I liked just, I don't know, just more notes about how I appreciate they, they changed it from, uh, the manga to the, uh, sure. to the movie just because, uh, I mean, I don't know, it's small things, but like, I think making, making, uh, Rita Vertasky an older person, uh, was a real smart decision and then changed well, that all that all changed because tom cruise became the star the, oh, the adaptation was done and when tom cruise got attached they were like we have to make yeah like, they had to he, change the ages because of that he's probably he's, in his 40s or something yeah, at that point yeah, yeah. I think he's in his fifties now, but I mean, yeah. he can still probably look like his forties. I mean, when they made that, he probably was forties. But yeah, that right. was—I uh, I read that or saw that. I think uh, they have that on the on the Blu-ray, the behind the scenes. They talk about some of that stuff when they. I adapt. think her character design in this movie was my fa- like my favorite of any of the designs in this movie. She was oh, like that's... so badass. I mean, yeah. she was the suits, so cool. like you were saying earlier, the suits were great. And there was that one guy on J squad that would wear a suit <laughs> with no BDUs underneath. I was like, Oh yeah. my God, man. <laughs> balls free. <laughs> balls out. Literally. Yeah. KG even says that he's like, you go balls out. Literally. <laughs> yeah. That and then changing the uh, the monster design, I think, was a smart choice. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think having the mouse would have been as uh, insidious feeling. Uh, yeah, in the manga, the it's a, it's an interesting art design. I'm not going to say it's bad, but I will say that whenever I look at it, I think Caco Demons from uh, Doom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's yeah, a fair, I like that they're kind of uh they're kind of a faceless organism in the movie outside of the alpha. The alpha is the only one that kind of has a face, and then the omega itself is like a giant brain, right? You yeah, see like this right. glowing orb thing with with a couple maybe tendrils coming out of it, and then the small mimics are almost like like little cells that just attack, and then the alpha is kind of like there to guide them. Um, I thought that was a cool motif and it, it lends more to the scene where Dr. Carter talks about them being like one organism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the production design really, really was great. And the fact that they, they built those suits, the actors actually had to wear them. They had different ones. They had ones that were like made out of a lightweight polymer plastic stuff. And then they had ones that were actually like metal and steel that got banged up. And yeah, there's, I mean, Tom Cruise worked out for six months in those suits before they even started shooting. And with oh, the other wow. actors, they would, they would have contests. This is on the blue extras. They would have contests to see who could get suited up the fastest, who could run across scenes the fastest. Like it became like this game. I think um, they said the the lightest one is like forty pounds, which yeah, it's not heavy, heavy, but it's not if light. You wearing well, it all day, that's gonna get heavy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the big ones, the like the larger suits that some of the guys had, and the ones that had like the extra rail guns and stuff, those ones were like upwards of eighty to a hundred pounds. I was like, yeah, oh crazy. man, 
So yeah, that I really liked, and even the vehicles, it it just had a really like realistic, lived-in military. You could tell they, then that, like you had talked about earlier, Duke, they had gone into like uh, they looked at what the military was doing and modern design stuff, and they wanted to make sure they got it based on where they thought technology could go, you know, and not like right. over the top. They didn't want to, you know sci-fi it up to where it didn't look like it couldn't be done you know in a few years time right so I thought that was really cool and and it makes the movie more it felt more real and especially because those suits were more real like they there's a almost all the shots are like practical you know with a lot of wire work like all those scenes where rita and cage are fighting on the battlefield and you see them like flying and doing those cool skates through yeah. the air and all that stuff that was all wire work uh well one of the things i loved and i, I don't know if this was an obvious nod to armor trooper votums or just an accidental nod when he's <laughs> fighting in the suit and he uses like the wheels in the suit to turn really fast because i mean no the first yeah. thing i ever saw with that was armor trooper votums i was like oh, i am man, so glad cool. you brought that up because that was <laughs> my favorite scene in the whole movie and probably a lot of people's favorite scene but i mean i definitely wanted to talk about that at some point in this podcast that was so cool um yeah and it was cool to, to see him like in the beginning when he first gets the suit on he doesn't even he can't even walk in it and then later <laughs> yeah. on there's a scene where he's like flying over j squad killing like 20 mimics and they're like wait yeah. what's the new guy's name um, again new guy? <laughs> <laughs> how is he no rita <laughs> right <laughs> oh man That's yeah so definitely the, the production design and the action the direction like i said it, i was really like wait the guy that directed swingers did this what like this is great <laughs> uh, uh the other recent movie that's blown me away in that aspect is um the 2018 halloween which is a direct sequel to the original halloween is directed by the guy that did Pineapple Express and Your Highness. And that's so <laughs> oh, wait, what? wow. Yeah. I guess oh, he's wow. just a good director. <laughs> it's just yeah. that if they say if you can do comedy, you can almost do anything. They say comedy is actually kind of hard to do. So um and I think it worked having Doug Lyman worked. He also did the born identity, the first born I was gonna say movie, it, I think. It's, so it's a total age thing between you and myself because to me, he's the guy who did born identity and to you, he's the guy who did swingers. <laughs> I'm a couple years younger than you. So just a yeah. couple, just a just couple. Just a few. Just like, you know, three. Just one or two. <laughs> Maybe double that. <laughs> Not much more than that though. Right. What about you, Duke? You got any closing thoughts on edge of tomorrow? Uh, well, we went into a, a little bit in talking about um, the, the closeness to World War One and World War II. Mm. Uh, I thought it was interesting when I looked at the map of the invasion elements in the manga, where you have uh, closing in on, on Japan, basically, uh, from all directions. And I don't think it was purposefully done between the two to have this, but it was almost like in um the movie you have sort of the allies uh, um, view of world war ii you know the manga uh, was definitely the japanese the japanese the last sort of so it's last stand there you have uh all of the other countries encroaching on japan and and this is basically it and then in the movie the first landing point is germany and from germany it spreads out to france the rest of Europe. And so you then you have the allies 
uh, preparing to invade from the United Kingdom. I mean, that's that's straight up World yeah. War II right there. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. I didn't even think about that. That's that's interesting. Huh. And the, the 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 beach attack is a lot like Normandy too, where um, they they I guess they don't they they never win in the beach attack in the movie, but um, we uh, cool. the Normandy landing had a, a lot of problems. Yeah, um, right. And it did in this. Uh, this movie as well so i think that was probably intentional but hard to say yeah that is that's a that is a good key point there dude i'll just say closing out that um i really like when a movie surprises me uh i'm glad i gave it a chance because like i said initially i don't know i don't know what it was about it i wasn't sold on when i first saw the trailer i don't know if i was like burned out on tom cruise or something something about it just didn't for whatever reason when i saw that trailer it didn't it didn't do anything for me and then later you know when my buddy told me oh you could, this movie so you you got to see it and i was like all right all right all right so i went and picked up the blu-ray popped it in expectations were low and i was floored i was like wow this was really effing good <laughs> <laughs> so i'm glad and i'm also glad to have to find out that you guys were also huge fans of the movie because it it makes it more fun to talk about these things with other people and get these other viewpoints and and duke's experience with heavily into the manga and the short story which i i'd only cursory looked at the summary and kind of seen some images of the manga but i've never actually read it so that might be something i'll check out at, at some point but yeah this is great all right anthem duke I want to thank you guys both for coming on the Retro Futures podcast. It's been another fun episode. Uh, make sure you guys go out and check out other shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com. We have plenty of shows, lots of topics, fun stuff to listen to. This is Hoptimus. Everybody, let's have a good one. Peace out. You know what they all say. Fantasy football is like a box of chocolates. And I know you. You love fantasy football. And you love chocolates. Well, 25 Yards Later is a fantasy football podcast with top-notch analysis, earworm music, and plenty of laughs. Each week we dive deep into four games, putting every fantasy-relevant and occasionally fantasy-irrelevant player under a microscope. Block out all the haters with 25 Yards Later, available wherever you get your podcasts, but maybe not where you get your chocolates.